Good afternoon. On July 4th, 2022, at approximately 10.15 a.m., Highland Park Police were on the scene of an active shooter in the area Central Avenue and 2nd Street, Highland Park, while an Independence Day parade was in progress. The Lake County Coroner's Office was notified and responded to the scene. The man accused of shooting into the crowd at the Highland Park 4th of July parade, killing seven and wounding dozens, has been charged with murder. Our support for victims started today, both from the state's attorney's office, from the mayor's office, from the city of Highland Park, from the police department, from the FBI victim assistance group. We will guide them through the court process and deal with the trauma that will ripple forever outside of the courtrooms. But how do we make sure that there are no more victims? What should have been a celebration of freedom has ended in despair for our community. I'll also talk with Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, about a West Loop real estate developer who also leads a suburban church and who said he believes both gigs are about building communities. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Thursday, July 7th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about a profile that you recently wrote about somebody who's doing two things. One of those things is developing residential projects. But but tell me about this developer that you've recently written about. And the other thing is he's a minister at a church he founded in Elgin. It's It's fascinating to me because what I said in the story is, so what he's developing is primarily sort of at the western edge of Fulton Market. And then this church is in Elgin. And you would think that these two gigs of his are farther apart philosophically than they are geographically, but it's actually kind of a synthesis for him, for this man, Darren Sloniger. He really talks about building communities. He grew up the son of a man in the South suburbs who created congregations. He was, he was considered a church planter is what they say, and ended up as the head of an organization that does that. And so Darren grows up seeing this happening, seeing the building of communities and um, goes into similar sorts of enterprises. He started a church in Naperville, then he later started this one in Elgin, but also goes into for-profit real estate development. And we can talk about how he got there. But right now, his firm, the Marquette Companies, which is based in Naperville, is developing or has already developed several projects it's a little bit more than a quarter of a mile from essentially Randolph and Ada to Randolph and Ashland. Anybody who can picture where Union Park is, he's worked from a couple of blocks east of that to the first block west of Union Park. They're apartment buildings primarily. The, the total is about 990 units of apartments also restaurant spaces and a few other things. It's a combination of new construction and rehabbed older buildings. And the idea he has is that he really is building a community. What he said to me is, 
I don't want to build a commodity. And a lot of apartments feel like commodities. I can look at this two bedroom and go a few blocks away and look at this another two bedroom and they're essentially the same. He said, I don't want to build a commodity. I want to build a community, which sounds a little bit like a PR marketing line, but spending time with him and seeing these roots he has in uh, not only his, his childhood churches, but the church he's involved with, the one he founded in Elgin, I found that it really is, I mean, it's, it's like a core value for him. So, so yeah, what is the, the career path of this guy? It's a little bit of a zigzag and he would say the same. So he grows up in this family where his father and his uncle are running churches. He grew up in Harvey, Markham, Chicago Heights, goes to Bible college, ends up going to South Africa where he has a falling out with the church, he said, because he was in South Africa at the time of apartheid. And he saw that the Dutch Reformed Church was essentially one of the main instigators of apartheid. So this makes him leave the church. He comes back to Chicago and gets a degree in urban planning, works in City Hall, Chicago City Hall as an intern, then goes to work for somebody I actually covered. At the time he was working there, I was covering them, a place called Bethel New Life in Garfield Park and West Garfield Park. There was a woman named Mary Nelson. This is the early 90s, early and mid 90s. She decided to take on one square mile of the west side and rebuild it. And so Darren is one of the staff learning how to get all the financing that a nonprofit needs to redevelop an area. And eventually he goes out to work in development on his own. And then later he meets another man, Nick Ryan, and their partnership, the Marquette Companies, is what he's now working with doing the work around Fulton Market. So the two things have been going on simultaneously. Not only was he sort of growing as a developer in that period I just laid out, but he also, as I said, he founded a church in Naperville. Then 25 years ago, late 1990s, he founds this church in Elgin, which he describes as a church for unchurched people. And the idea is that there he's building a community of a spiritual community for people who don't feel they fit in other churches. And it's just, it's sort of fascinating to see somebody doing these two things that feel so different, but that for him fit together. One thing I think I didn't say, but almost anybody might assume is these apartment buildings in Fulton Market, you know, these aren't low rent apartments. Sure. He's, he's not a nonprofit. He is working for profit. These are luxury apartments, right. the kind of thing you see being built all over Fulton Market. He's sort of pushing it West, but doing it with this sort of this slight difference in mind. Yeah. A whole philosophical kind of uh, North star to what he's doing. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. 990 apartments. That's, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's a lot of housing. It is. So he estimated the value of the construction is about a half a billion dollars. Not a huge surprise to see that many apartments going in, uh, in that neighborhood. Albie Galoon has written extensively about the apartment building boom, not only in Fulton Market and the West Loop, but in other neighborhoods. And this is sort of a piece, this, this man's portfolio, or I should say this company's portfolio, um, is, a, is like a mini boom within that boom. And the reason to highlight it is that he's working in this sort of clustered um, setting with the buildings. I, I think I said in the story that the buildings sort of line up like beads on a string from, as I said, Ashland, uh, Ashland and Randolph to Ada and Randolph. So a thousand apartments in Fulton Market, higher end of the market. Where does affordable housing fit into his his mission? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. Of course, it's required of developers that the ARO, the affordable rental ordinance that the city has, requires that a certain number of units be 
built, um, you can put some on-site and some off-site if that's what you prefer. And he is doing that. But it was interesting because for this story, I spoke to Alderman Burnett, whose uh, ward most of these, pro- all of these projects are in. And he said that one of the things he likes about Darren Sloniger is that Sloniger gets it on affordable housing. A lot of developers say, oh, okay, if that's what you say, I'll put them in. But Sloniger is, is like there for the affordable housing. Um, again, going back to his, or, his, not his origins, but his earlier years working with Bethel New Life, where they were building affordable housing. And there was a great thing he said um, when I was interviewing him. He said, as a developer, I feel sort of burdened by having to build affordable housing because obviously it cuts into the profit, et cetera. But he said, as a person, I think it's awesome what happens because of the affordable housing, which is another part of that sort of duality in him. You know, he he's doing it because he has to as a developer, but he also personally really supports this idea. Yeah, choosing to also really kind of celebrate that because this guy is like, sounds like a saint or something, but he, he also did quite a bit when the war in Ukraine first broke out. Yeah, so, so one of the things about being a for-profit developer and having this religious mission, one of the things he told me is that he, he does the development work with an eye toward making that fund his other activities, including Ukraine, which I'll get to, but also the church he founded in Elgin, where he doesn't take a salary, some other nonprofit work in Elgin, a community development program in Nicaragua. And then along comes the war in Ukraine. And his wife, Shelby, told me uh, she's watching TV. They, They have six kids. Most of them are out of the house and the last will be leaving soon. And she's watching the stories of the uh, displacement caused by the Ukrainian situation. And she says to him, you know, we got this big house that's going to be empty. We could just bring a bunch of refugees over here. And he says, no, no, no. And what they end up doing is they flew to Warsaw uh, with no plan. They rent a van. And a lot of the women and children who've, who've fled Ukraine are arriving at a train station in Warsaw. They show up in the van and basically say, we'll help you find housing. And one thing he said is, I'm really glad my wife was there because it looked a little bit more legitimate. Some guy in a van drives up. Right, right. (laughs) They then, relying on donations from others in the business community, they found housing for dozens of Ukrainian refugees and they're covering the cost. These donations from the Salonikers and others are covering the costs of housing in Warsaw Hmm. for these refugees which is really kind of amazing. What he told me is that he and his wife probably give a few hundred thousand dollars a year to these causes, which, you know, nobody wants to say, oh, I, this is how much I give to charity. But I, I think he sort of cooperated with me in the interview in order to sort of make it clear that what he's doing really is a spiritual thing. There are unfortunately stories out there about pastors who are, you know, taking money and that sort of thing. For instance, they flew to Poland and back first class because that's how they travel, but he paid for that. That didn't come from people's donations. He's he's pretty clear about, I think you probably have to be when you've got these 501c3s, yeah, and sure. you've got commercial business entities. But when you hear a man talk about this, when he kind of volunteers this information, you get more of a feeling, you know, I'm a reporter, you're a reporter, we're skeptics. Yeah, This guy must be a hypocrite, is what right. a skeptic would say. But the way he talks about it, you really feel that that it's genuine. Hmm. What his wife told me is that the um, the Bible verse that matters most to him is 
a statement by Jesus, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. And having grown up poor, both of them, and now having means, they are doing what they can, she said, to help the least of these. In this case, Ukrainian refugees in Poland, but also um, when he was working at Bethel New Life and, and those kinds of things. It's kind of fascinating. How did he first get on your radar? You know, it's funny <laughs> because of my other gig at WBEZ, mm-hmm. um, where I do this series called What's That Building? The project he's got going on Ashland uh, is where the Women's Treatment Center was. It closed oh, yeah. during the COVID crisis. And the Women's Treatment Center had this modernist building everybody loved on Ashland. But it also has this 1920s Georgian building right on the corner of Ashland and Maypole, which just because of the things I like to read about, I knew is a piece of women's medical history in Chicago. A physician named Mary Thompson, one of the first female physicians in Chicago, uh, came during the Civil War to treat women and children of men who died in the Civil War. And she ends up building a hospital, running it after her death. Their next building is this one on Maypole, which is named for her. So I noticed that he was tearing down the modern building, not tearing down the historical hospital, and it did not have landmark protection. He, he could have torn it down. And so I checked in. I was like, well, so what's going on here? And ended up doing a segment for WBEZ about this building that somebody was saving just because he wanted to, because he thinks these older buildings sort of keep the character of the neighborhood. He's building, you know, the the high rises that everybody's building in the West Loop, but he's keeping these lower ones as well and didn't have to keep this one. I was thrilled because I'm just a huge fan of the whole history of the Mary Thompson Hospital. Yeah. And um, so then having sort of checked in on that project, I start, I talked with them a little bit more and realized, oh, wait, this is a piece of a much larger, it's actually sort of the last piece, the westernmost piece of a much larger project that starts several blocks east on Ada in 2019. And between 2019 and 2013, uh, sorry, between 2019 and 2023, he expects to do this whole grouping. So then it becomes more of a crane story. I, I always love to hear the backstory of how stories come together, especially with profiles, like what, how do people get on your radar and things like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, and he's one of those people. It's also one of those things. Um, I think journalists often have this problem where you meet somebody and you think, oh, wow, I could do like 10 stories right. on you for all the different, but I have to do this one short little article. Yeah. So in this case, I've gotten to do two. I don't know what the, the other eight will be. Right. but you know. All in good time, I'm sure. Exactly. Well, thanks so much, Dennis. Appreciate you stopping by to chat today. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, Mayor Lightfoot explores a big change to Soldier Field. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Here's a great way to stay in touch with Crane's Daily Gist. Subscribe to the Crane's Morning 10. It's our daily newsletter featuring the 10 biggest stories of the day. To subscribe, visit chicagobusiness.com slash morning 10. The man accused of opening fire at Highland Park's 4th of July parade, killing seven and wounding nearly 50 others, has been charged with murder and ordered held in jail without bond. The Highland Park community, like so many before us, is devastated. It is impossible to imagine the pain of this kind of tragedy until it happens in your backyard. Our focus the last 36 hours has been on the perpetrator of this heinous crime. 
As of Wednesday, Robert E. Bobby Cremo III has been charged with seven counts of first-degree murder, according to Lake County State's Attorney Eric Reinhardt. These are just the first of many charges that will be filed against Mr. Cremo. I want to emphasize that. There will be more charges. At the time, Reinhardt also said dozens more charges would be coming, including attempted murder and aggravated battery. Lake County officials released more details about Monday's mass shooting, including how they believe the suspect carried out the attack. Deputy Chief Christopher Covelli, spokesperson for the Lake County Major Crimes Task Force, said officials believed the suspect pre-planned the attack for several weeks and that he fired more than 70 shots. Based on video surveillance recovered by our investigators, uh, we're very certain that there was a female witness who saw Cremo drop an object inside of a red blanket behind Ross's at 625 Central Avenue immediately following the shooting. We've not been able to identify this witness yet, but we're asking if you are the witness and you are hearing this, please call 800, call FBI. Uh, investigators really would like to speak to you about this. At the news conference, Covelli also said that no motives had yet been established as of Tuesday and that the high-powered rifle used in the shooting was similar to an AR-15, the model of semi-automatic rifle that's been used in many other mass shootings. Chicago-based United Airlines blamed the Federal Aviation Administration and the nation's air traffic control system for exacerbating the issues plaguing the industry estimating that more than 50% of its delay minutes and 75% of its cancellations in the past four months were because of FAA actions to manage air traffic and flight capacity. Such initiatives include holding aircraft in flight, assigning specific departure times, ground delays, and reroutings. John Reutemann, United's chief operations officer, told workers in a letter, quote, the reality is that there are just more flights scheduled industry-wide than the ATC staffing system can handle. His statement continued, quote, until that is resolved, we expect the U.S. aviation system will remain challenged this summer and beyond. Bloomberg noted in reporting that the memo highlights tension that has developed between airlines and regulators over who is most to blame for travel disruptions. Domestic travel demand has reportedly largely come back following the steep decline earlier in the pandemic. Now packing planes at the same time carriers have faced worker shortages and in some cases, as severe weather has also created disruptions. Fares and consumer complaints have also climbed, along with flight cancellations and delays. And as Bloomberg reporting also pointed out, airlines have met with the FAA more than once on the issues. And Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg urged carriers going into the July 4th holiday weekend to adopt more reasonable summer schedules. United temporarily cut 50 daily flights out of its hub at Newark, which is often one of the most delayed airports in the nation, starting in July as an effort to ease congestion this summer. American, Delta, Southwest and JetBlue have also all trimmed summer schedules in an effort to improve operations. Amazon has agreed to take a stake in Grubhub as part of a partnership where the e-commerce giant will offer U.S. Prime users a one-year membership to the food delivery service. Grubhub's parent company, JustEatTakeaway.com, saw shares jump the most in almost four years on the announcement. Just Eat Takeaway has previously seen its share price decline more than 65% this year, hitting a record low on Tuesday ahead of the announcement Wednesday morning. The company also faces internal turmoil after it launched an investigation into its chief operating officer's personal conduct and after the chairman stepped down in May. 
Amsterdam-based Just Eat Takeaway said Amazon will receive options for a 2% stake in Grubhub and will have the opportunity to increase the holdings to 15% and that Amazon's stake is in the form of warrants, which will vest depending on how well the partnership performs and how many new customers it brings in. Just Eat Takeaway said the membership agreement will renew every year unless Amazon or Grubhub terminates it. And Just Eat Takeaway will continue to explore a full or partial sale of the U.S. business. The company initially announced plans to find an investor or bidder for the U.S. business in April, less than a year after buying Grubhub, which was originally founded in Chicago, for a $7.3 billion sale price. Crane's political columnist Greg Hines reported that a mayoral committee has recommended that the city explore the feasibility of putting a dome over Soldier Field in an effort to make the facility more attractive to potential users, including the Chicago Bears. But the dome almost certainly will require some sort of taxpayer subsidy, according to a draft of the report that may be released as soon as this week by Mayor Lori Lightfoot's Lakefront Museum Campus Working Group. No costs for the dome are listed in the draft, but Hines reported that sources close to the matter say estimates of $400 million to $1.5 billion have been mentioned. Besides the dome, the panel is also proposing a number of other upgrades and changes, including substantially rebuilding parts of the historic stadium and selling or granting potentially lucrative naming rights. The working group, headed by Mizero Financial Executive Chairman Richard Price, has reviewed other changes to the stadium as well, according to documents obtained by Cranes, including creating year-round restaurants and a hotel on-site, and possibly a betting site, moving the Huntington Bank Pavilion concert venue at Northerly Island to a space adjacent to Soldier Field, and converting Solidarity Drive, which runs out to the Adler Planetarium, into a pedestrian walkway at least part of the time. But a spokesperson for the Chicago Bears says the NFL team has not been in discussions with City Hall about a dome or any other improvements. Instead, they say the team is exclusively focused on vetting its pending deal to buy the former Arlington International Racecourse property as the site of a possible new home for the franchise. Find more detailed reporting on this story, as well as many others, at chicagobusiness.com. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.